Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity and Play. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. You can find us online at creativityandplay.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Creativity Play and download Archive Edition on iTunes. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is artist Linda Ganstrom. Working in figurative ceramics for the past 30 years, Linda explores issues relating her personal experiences to big picture questions, ranging from potential memory and transformation to family obligations, gender roles, and spirituality. Her interest in the environment inspired her curatorial concept for Earth Matters, the 2010 National Council on Education for the Ceramic Arts Invitational Exhibition in Philadelphia. Linda is also a professor of art at Fort Hayes State University in Kansas. Currently, she is curator of Push Play, exploring the importance of play and creativity at the Bellevue Arts Museum in Seattle, Washington. Linda Ganstrom, welcome to Creativity and Play. Thank you so much for inviting me. I look forward to a playful conversation. Thank you. Well, I think we should jump off, first of all, with this show that we just mentioned, Push Play, that is at the Bellevue Arts Museum until June uh, 17th. And for me, the uh, intersection of creativity and almost anything fill-in-the-blank is not a stretch, but I think a lot of times the seemingly disconnected things, you know, strike people as odd and the bringing together of play and creativity through ceramics might be one of those topics for some people. So I'm wondering, first of all, if you would tell us how you came to uh, have this curator role in this and and what the show is actually trying to help people explore. Well, I'm fortunate to have a curator role because I'm the exhibitions director for INSEGA, which is the National Council on Education for the Ceramics Art. And we have a a global organization that promotes ceramic art and, of course, creativity is a part of that. And I feel that there's a strong connection with play and creativity and that you have to have a sense of playfulness in order to have the freedom to be creative. Um, Creativity is a delicate flower and it needs to be tended well. Um, For Um, In my role as the curator for Inseca, every other year I get to host and organize a biennial um, invitational exhibition. So this is a wonderful exhibition in that you come up with a concept. Often I work together with a venue host. In this case, it was the Bellevue Arts Museum um, creative director, which is Stefano Cataloni. And Stefano is um, so brilliant. He just has such interesting ideas that it was fascinating to have a conversation with him over email and then in person um, and kind of focusing my ideas about play and how we could pursue uh, the idea of play. There's a lot of play in the ceramic process. Um, You develop skills. Most artists practice and practice, but it's so much fun to develop those skills that it's a playful kind of practice. And then at some point you have this wonderful set of skills, and you can use that as your voice to communicate. And when I was talking to Stefano about the idea of play 
and touch and this playfulness in the studio, he said, well, you know, that's really such a large idea, and maybe we could focus in and look at artists who um, are just working with the subject matter of play as well. And so we talked about some of the artists that I was interested in working with, such as Kiki Smith, whose latest body of work um, it connects to subject matters that are often considered storytelling or fantasy, maybe role-playing, where she's doing things like you know, squatting the palace in Venice and imagining what girls were like in those palaces and what their lives were like. So she was one of the first artists I thought of. And from that, we developed a core of artists that we invited, and then we opened up a call to all artists that work in ceramics and asked them, um, to think about how play intersected with their work and what kind of responses they had to the subject of play. That was open for about six months. And so artists could create specific pieces for that, or they could look at their body of work and think how it interacted with play and submit those. And from that submission, there was a pool of artists. I selected the rest of the works um, that are in push play. So ceramics is what our organization does, and each year we go to a different host city. Um, the biennial, uh, or the invitational is biennial, so it's once every other year. And so we put out this call and try to encourage people to engage in the subject matter that we're doing. So it's ceramics, it's about play, because that's the subject that I selected, and creativity and play seem so closely connected. Linda, uh, after visiting the exhibit and taking in all the different facets of play, um, I noticed that, um, first of all, there was a large expanse of what was depicted in small and large pieces. And I also noticed that not all of them looked very playful. In fact, as a play advocate and consultant, I was watching people's watching, looking, smelling, sensing people's Excellent. remarks and what they thought of all the play. And there were a lot of furrowed brows and remarks like, that's play. can't imagine <laughs> that. What, what would you have to say about that? Um, I definitely wanted the show to be thought-provoking. When I talked to Stefano originally, um, I had a number of artists who I consider crossing boundaries, someone like Kiki Smith, who exhibits with fine arts, is an international fine artist, is well-known all across the globe, but she also works in ceramics. And then there are some artists who are just known in the ceramics field. Other artists are known in like the Native American field, so you have people like Diego Romero coming in. And so I wanted to cross some of those boundaries, and Stefano was very interested in that. And then he was also concerned that it would look like a ceramic toy shop and that we wouldn't produce something that was what I call cheap entertainment, where you don't have to think very much, but something that was more thought-provoking and maybe um, would expand your um, maybe your definition of play and definitely be a conversation starter. So that was sort of at the core of our original conversation in thinking about the exhibition. And there are some things that are very challenging about the exhibition, and there are some aspects of play that maybe aren't addressed as often, such as um, how is play tied to mortality? How is play, um, can it be exploitive? Um, in some cases, is it uncomfortable or intense? So as you walk around the exhibition, there are definitely pieces that um, even challenge me. And that's what I usually like in art. I look for things that maybe at first I'm like maybe, if not offended, at least I'm like sort of shocked um, or challenged in some way to understand them. And then I have to think and 
put myself in the artist's shoes or inside of the artwork and imagine, you know, what it's saying to me and why is why am I challenged by it? So I like that type of artwork, and there's a number of pieces that um, definitely do that for me. So Kiki Smith's piece, for instance, is called Sitting and Thinking, and um, this is the piece that Pace Gallery said was available for us to have in the exhibition. And so I thought, well, why did they choose that as something that was engaging play? But then I thought, well, you know, that's really the beginning of most play is that it's all interior and that you sit and your imagination can roam wherever it wants to go. And you can have tools that help you, like you might have a book or a story or a conversation, but really it's a mental game. And I think the Adrian Arleo piece, The Swan, which is from her Awareness series, it also does that. So she has those human eyes layered over the swan. And so it's about introspection and insight. And I just love that underneath the swan, where you normally wouldn't see, it's just paddling away. And so I thought that there's that physical aspect to go along and balance the mental aspect. Are there specific pieces that you um, would like to talk about or felt were uh, the most challenging? Well, I I also think that uh, just clay in itself is messy and playful, and it, it also uh, you mentioned clay and mortality, and mm-hmm. um, clay can become liquid very fast, and so it it is very it can be very impermanent, and so I can really um, understand that. Um, but one piece in particular really uh, struck me very archetypally, and that's Beth Kavanagh Stickner's. Um, big archetypal wolf spewing out the feminine. So I wonder... Oh, isn't that amazing? For some people, that could be very challenging. It is very challenging. And she definitely intended it to be challenging. She's an artist that I contacted early on in the process, and she made that piece specifically for the exhibition. So we were talking about play and how as young girls we're given so many um, kind of gender stereotype toys like pink tutus and pink feather boas and crayons and lace and Barbie dolls and that there's a a very strong aspect of gender involved in children's play and that as an adult she continued to rebel against that and to reject that concept of femininity and to try to reclaim what she felt was a more authentic femininity and so the wolf is a big she-wolf so it's kind of ambiguous as to what sex it is but she sees it as um, a she-wolf and I think in some ways sort of autobiographical that she connects with the wolf as um, kind of an extension of herself and it's spewing forth all of that pink fluffy feminine uh, kind of ultra feminine um, playful objects and you know it's like lace and doilies and flowers and you know this very beautiful kind of vomit it's the most beautiful vomit i've ever seen so she's spewing forth this pink version of femininity and reclaiming something that she feels is more authentic and strong that's an amazing piece the wolf is so large it's like six foot across and then you have 20 feet of this you know fiber art which is very beautiful to look at but when you start to think what it's about it makes me as a grandmother who plays with my grandchildren all the time think about what kind of toys what kind of activities i'm doing how am i reinforcing gender stereotypes or expanding on them uh, creates a lot of accountability thank you can you say a little bit more about your own work which i think fits up on this theme as i understand it well thank um, you around gender and and through through ceramics 
um, particularly and what what that looks like, what that means in terms of the work you do personally? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, my work is primarily dealing with uh, realistic figures. So I do a lot of body casting where I create press molds from actual um, human bodies. So on my sabbatical this semester, I've had the fun of making um, a body cast of my granddaughter and using a child for the first time. So I've done women all the way into their 50s, and then this is the first one I've done of a girl who's 11. So that gives me um, a basic shape that I can put clay into and pull it out, and then I have like a clay person. And that's kind of when the fun and the creativity starts for me. So the, getting the mold made and packing the mold is craft. And then it's a matter of imagining this character and what I want to say through the figure. So right now I'm looking at European art, and so I'm thinking about different European characters and European style elements. So I'm making press molds of um, furniture embellishments, um, the kinds of three-dimensional embellishments that you might have on objects de art, and um, taking those and then making clay versions and putting them on the figure. So the figure at first looks like it has a textile on it, sort of like clothes, but it also looks a bit like wallpaper or furniture. So I'm looking at the European connection to the figure right now and how that's alive, and right now it's so popular in our design world. So I'm interested in looking at real people trying to imagine you know, their lives and the importance of their lives through the figure. And I think it's such an exciting time to be making art because in the past, most of the art you saw was either you know, nude figures, which were sort of exploiting their youth and beauty, um, maybe intended to be sensuous and excite a sense of desire. And so I have this opportunity to create these human figures that teach something beyond that and really um, open that conversation about what it means to be feminine, what it means to be human, um, what is it about our human experience that's valuable and unique and in this case, playful. So I love the fact that when the viewer comes to the exhibition, um, they come in with all their own stories and experiences, and when they look at the pieces, they layer those stories and experience, and they might experience something new, or they might reexamine their own experience in a new light and have insight into life and um, their connection with other people. It seems that there is a connection with, um, as you're saying, story and memoir, narrative, and one of the pieces that uh, also I was quite drawn to, and for some, um, I think there might be some disturbing pieces to this one as well as Irina, and I'm not going to pronounce the last name right. Irina Zatseva. Okay. Irina Zaseva, yes, her piece is Mm -hmm. very interesting. So Irina Zaseva is also um, interested in female, um, kind of these, not just roles that they had, but really exploitive roles. So in this particular piece, which is called The Ghost of Lotus Shoes, the primary bust is a Chinese gentleman with a green face. And I'm not sure why it was green. To me, that suggests maybe envy or, you know, he just doesn't look like he's very trustworthy. Um, He's got, you know, kind of a sly look on him, and he's very powerful. But on his hat, there is a woman who is intended to represent a concubine. And so she's kind of an object of sexual play. A lot of these um, noble Chinese from the feudal period would have 
if not multiple wives, they would have multiple concubines, and they would have a number of people that they were, you know, it's an adult form of play, is that they would um, enjoy the sexual favors of these women who were trained as courtesans. And it's not a Chinese phenomena, you know, certainly we've seen that in lots of other cultures as well. But in the Chinese um, um, experience, the women would bind their feet. And this took place for almost a 1,000 years, and they felt it was beautiful. And it also, um, the bound foot made the woman more sexually desirable. But it also created a lot of pain for the woman. And, um, you know, sometimes we suffer for fashion, but this seemed like an extreme form of that suffering. So the woman on the top of the headdress is intended to represent this concubine who is controlled by her her noble lord. But she's kind of reclaiming herself through her own sexual play. So in the piece, she's masturbating, and she appears to be lost in her own personal fantasy and physical enjoyment of her body or her own playfulness. And so I thought that was such an interesting way of thinking about play as giving women freedom over their own bodies so that through this act of masturbation and this kind of sexual, sensual play, she was able to free herself from the social confines that her culture had assigned to her. It's definitely an unexpected idea of how play interacts with personality and gender role. I think and that being an example as you said, both unexpected as well as the diversity, it sounds yes. like it's very much represented in this show, which, you know, the name, I think, you probably don't know. I read, does that say his name? It, uh-huh. No, with the name of the show itself, you know. Um, Push, play. What, what you might expect coming to it. So, you know, the examples you've shared from it have been such diverse examples of of really pushing the topic of play and then through that, you know, like you said, the the role of uh, creativity in that and, and how, how it's all expressed through the link of ceramics in this particular case. Absolutely. So the concept for our entire conference is on the edge. So we're looking at edgy art, and that's where the word push came from. So I'd been um, playing around with other titles like clay, play, or the intimate gesture, dealing with the idea of you know the soft, liquid motion of clay that's so accepting of every touch and then records it, and then when it's fired, it becomes hard and permanent. And so those were ideas that I had, and uh, Stefano Catalani was the one who said, oh, push, play, I get it. You know, And he put together that idea of on the edge with play, and that's definitely what the exhibition is about. It's an edgy um, kind of view of play. One of the pieces, uh, in addition to the two we've talked about, is by Kelly Canole. Mm-hmm. Canole? Is it Canole or Canole? And, uh, yeah, she uh, says people pronounce it in a variety of ways. She said people that love the the Italian pastries call it Canole, but it's Canole. It's I think it's um, Irish or Scottish. Okay. Well, Kelly's piece uh, with her rabbits really does go to that edge of pushiness in the sense that um, some of the rabbits are very fearful in their expressions and some are, they look like they're about to leap off the wall where they're mounted and um, they have a very tangible, fleeting type uh, quality to them. And so I wonder what you have to say about um, this particular piece and 
Um, I definitely was looking for the intensity of play that I notice in, well, I remember in my own experience as a child in play that some of that experience was so intense that it was actually, I felt more alive than just in my normal walking life or waking life. And uh, I see that with my grandchildren as well and observing them when they're lost in their playland. My granddaughter likes to build these like miniature houses and people and she puts her little animals in there and she's just so lost and so intense. And I thought about where that came from, and I also noticed it with animals. Um, And so I wanted to have something that connected the animal nature of play with um, our human concept of play. So with animals, it's, you know, hard to understand what is play for them. When we think about play, normally play is an activity that doesn't really produce any kind of an object or service that can be sold. And so play can be very intense. It's normally pleasurable, but it's not always pleasurable. And so as I thought about that definition of play, when I saw Kelly's piece, I saw all of these rabbits running together. And I noticed that type of physical play and that enjoyment of sport is so important to many, you know, children and adults. And so I thought of that animal nature of running together and being so intense. So like in a sport, they don't always seem happy. It's like they're pushing their bodies so hard. It looks so painful to me, but they're very intense, and when they're done, they're kind of on a high, and they seem to really enjoy doing a marathon or running these long distances. And so I thought about that with the animals as well, but it does look like there are relationships between the animals, so you can see them looking at each other, maybe looking around, some are stopping and kind of smelling things, and there's also a connection between them and the environment. So Kelly is drawn on the walls of the gallery with this beautiful um, black and white charcoal drawing of grass. So it does give you a feeling that the animals are just running through space and that the wall of the gallery is like a barrier between their reality and is coming into our world. So I just thought that was a wonderful way of engaging the viewer in this imaginary space and wondering exactly what you ask. What are they running from? Why are they running? Where are they going? Why are they together? But they look so intense. And so that feeling of drama, I think, is something that in play is not always... Um, it's not always just happy or pleasurable, but it is very intense and exciting, and it makes you feel even more alive. And then on the other side, there's a, there's another piece where there's a circle of children with different expressions, mm-hmm. and one child is outside, clearly ostracized oh, yeah. the group. I think that's one of the most powerful pieces in the exhibition. That's Andrew Potter's piece, and it's called The Captain's Congress. So all the little children are sitting in a circle, and they have um, paper hats on, so they look like captains of their own ship. So it has to do with that idea of power and being able to command your own destiny. And they're sitting in a circle talking, and they don't look very nice. They have expressions on. They look super intense. Um, They have, you know, sometimes they look almost mean. They seem like, if you could imagine their conversation, it can't be very nice. It's like they're criticizing the person who's sitting separated from them. And so you have a young girl who's more realistic, and she's sitting with her back to them, and her hat is on the floor. They haven't decided if they're going to let her join their club, so to speak. And I think that this is extremely important today. This is so relevant to what's going on in our culture as we think about bullying in school and the consequences of what, you know, just because they're young doesn't mean that their play doesn't have consequences. So you have this large group of, you know, I think it's 11 figures who are interacting and they're playing and deciding if this other person can join their group. But the consequences are is that they're becoming sort of – 
I think it's bringing out their worst nature in ostracizing someone. And so I think that this one is very powerful um, and completely relevant, unfortunately, in talking about the power of play and the long-term consequences of being ostracized, um, the consequence of deciding who we will play with and who will we ignore or who will we decide to maybe even create, you know, like, um, imaginary um, rumors against. So sometimes when you see people playing, you know, some of the things that they play aren't very nice. And that's what I get from Andrew Potter's piece. I think she's one of the most exciting young artists working in ceramics right now. She's um, definitely got a global footprint. She's just been in Germany. Um, she was teaching at Alfred, which is a very prestigious university in New York, um, teaching ceramics. And her work is edgy. Um, she is um, interested in androgyny and looking at humanity not through the filter of gender, trying to kind of um, erase that gender uh, filter and look at what it means to be people and think about our consequences in action. And, you know, the piece at first when you look at it and you see the little paper hats, you think, oh, yeah, I remember making paper hats. And then you start to think, oh, I remember when I was in grade school, there was that one girl that nobody wanted to play with. And it makes you think about what the consequences are, how it feels to be that one girl. So I got a lot from that piece. It really touched my soul and my heart, and my heart went out to the little girl sitting there. And it also made me think about what are the costs of joining the group. So it looked like the cost of joining the group is that you might have to share in the gossip. So maybe she's better off sitting off by herself. In the last... Uh couple minutes we have here. We've talked a little bit about play in the rest of your life beyond the ceramics part that we we've talked most about um so far. Where Absolutely. else do you like play? How else do you play throughout your life? Well, I actually physically like to play. So I have five grandchildren through, that live here in town with me, and so I play with them. We put on music and dance. We go out into nature and explore the plains and the badlands of Kansas. Uh, we just like to make things. So we play with cardboard and ceramics and finger paint and drawing. And So I love play, and I think play brings so much pleasure to my life, and it also helps me understand the people that I'm playing with. Um, I'm a teacher. I'm a university professor, so I like to play with my students. I enjoy working with my students in developing topics um, that they'll use as the boundaries for their play in clay. I enjoy teaching them different skills and then setting them free, which is kind of the boundary of the classroom, and providing this wonderful facility where they can play in a safe, secure place where they know they'll be accepted and that other people can interact and see their work. And I enjoy taking artwork into the community, whether it's a virtual uh, community like the Internet, a physical community like the Bellevue Arts Museum, or even um, just a local um, community experience where, like my students have shown at the Kansas Wetlands Center and offered workshops there, inviting people to come in and play with clay and use clay as a way of expressing um, how they feel, what they're learning about their uh, surroundings and other people. So I think that it's so important to play in all aspects of life. In order, in other words, you want to be creative and open, aware of life, willing to engage it. Um, you want to have this attitude of continuing to 
um, enjoy things and to experience pleasure through play and also to be aware of its consequences and to think about how your play is connecting with other people and um, thinking about both its positive and possibly some of its challenging um, aspects. And, and speaking of playing with uh, artwork online, I believe several of the pieces you've talked about today from Push Play are available on the Bellevue Arts Museum website. Is that they are. So, so we Bellevue Arts Museum has to go them. Check those out. Yes, and there also is a catalog. So we have a print copy of the catalog that they're selling at the Bellevue Arts Museum store. So that's available to people. There's not many left. Um, they were very popular with our pre-sales. So. Many of our NSICA members are, will get one when they come to the conference, but that's another great way of engaging with play. And we're selling a CD catalog as well, so it's just a disc you can pop into your computer. And it is playful, as well as the catalog. So the catalog has a game on the outside of it, and you can cut the little um, squares apart, and they have images of the artwork, and then you can arrange them like a memory game, and you can play memory with the catalog pieces. And when you go on to the virtual catalog or the one that's on the the CD-ROM, you can move around and it's interactive and play with that as well. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Linda, for joining us today on Creativity and Play. Thank you for the great questions. I really, um, I'm so excited that you went and saw the show and your questions were so specific and that it did challenge you and that the people who enter the exhibition are they're getting a little bit more than they probably thought. I know that the idea of play is sometimes associated with things that are more whimsical or funny, and I think that this exhibition certainly pushes that idea and thinks about some of the more serious aspects of play um, and how play connects with our culture and each other. Thank, Thank you again. You, Linda. Linda Canstrom is an artist and curator. Her current show, Push Play, is on display until June 17th at the Bellevue Arts Museum in Seattle, Washington. Our theme music is Kindergarten, composed and performed by Jonathan Batiste. You can listen to this show and previous shows again and find more information about our guests and coming shows at creativityandplay.com and find Creativity and Play on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes as well. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dolbert. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Thank you, Linda. You've given us lots to think about in terms of play in all aspects of our life and the arts. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I hope people will understand that play is at the heart of all creativity. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.